When I was a kid, probably about eight years old, uh, my, the, the dog that had been with my family got kind of sent off to the farm in his old age. And I was sad. And we, so the next day I, I told my parents, we need to get a new dog, we need to get a new dog. And uh, so we went down to the pound and there was this cute little kind of what looked like a black lab there, beautiful little dog. And so we took him home, named him Fido, and found out shortly after getting him home that he was just pure evil. And, and he, wasn't, he wasn't like a bad dog in the traditional sense, because whenever you were around, he was playful and energetic and fun. But whenever you'd leave the room, he would just tear everything apart. He was a weapon of mass destruction. He had a great knack for knowing what was valuable. Um, because he wouldn't bother with any of the cheap stuff. He just only destroyed the valuable things. Uh, and we, we tried to get him under control and, and regulate him in any way. We built, put a barbed wire fence around our yard and uh, looked like a prison. And he'd break out anyways and go on his daily uh, journeys through the neighborhood. Never quite figured out what he did. Um, but his, his kind of wild adventures and treacheries led him to um, only be with us for about two years. But in the course of those two years, he managed to kind of destroy our house. Uh, but so Fido was a dog, and so he didn't have, he doesn't have free will, I guess. He's just the perfect storm of breeds and puppy energy that led to kind of his, the way he behaved. But I think uh, that, that kind of behavior, uh, being, being so great when you're around him, but just, a, just evil when you're away, it's kind of an illustration of what I think our gospel parable is pointing to today, a question that it, a question that it asks us. Uh, so I'm going to return to this theme, but I think it's worth first taking a look, a closer look at the image of the vineyard that the Lord gives us. I think he, in the first reading and in the gospel, Israel is depicted as a vineyard. So I think we, it's worth uh, looking at here. So Isaiah tells us that his friend, he describes God as his friend. Um, who planted a vineyard. He says he planted it on a, a fertile hillside. He spaded it. He cleared it of stones. And he planted the choicest vines. Um, and yet after all this work that he'd done, it yielded only wild grapes. And so the only course of action, after everything's already planned, all the work's been done, the only thing you can do at that point is tear down its walls and let it be trampled. So that's what he does. Uh, he lets at least kind of the wild animals have their fill uh, since the grapes are good for nothing else. And I think the image here is obviously Israel, as it says at the end of the reading, that God chose Israel. He brings them out of slavery. He sets them apart from the rest of the world and he gives them the law in order that they can be a light to the nations, that they can teach the world how to live. Uh, yet, Israel didn't want to be a witness to the nations. Uh, they rather wanted to be like all the nations. They just wanted to be like everybody else. So they were unfaithful to the Lord and his covenant. Uh, so what did he do? He left them to their own devices. At a certain point, there was nothing the Lord could do for them anymore but to let them kind of feel the pain of their sin and their idolatry. So we see in the first exile that Israel had fallen into idolatry so severely that the Lord just let them be conquered. The temple was torn down and they were sent into exile. 
But we see when they return from exile, when the Lord kind of picks them back up, that they never again fell into idolatry. After the first exile, Israel never fell into idolatry again. And so I had the, the honor of going on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem this past Christmas, and we, we were able to talk to a lot of the Jewish people who had returned there about the second temple, that temple that, the Herodian temple, the one we kind of think of when we think of uh, Israel, and why, why they believe that the Lord let the second temple be destroyed. And so we talked to them and they said, the, the tradition behind that is that baseless hatred was the reason that the second temple was destroyed. That there was so much division and hatred and, and uh, violence, even within Israel itself in that first century, that God just kind of, again, left them to their own devices and let them feel the pain of their sin. And Rome destroyed their temple. So, this image of the vineyard is, is kind of a very common image in the history of, of the scriptures. The Lord describes it all the time. So, when Jesus gives this parable in the New Testament, when he gives this parable in his preaching, the leaders at that time would have been very familiar with the image. But he shifts the emphasis in a very important way. It, the emphasis is no longer on the fruit being produced. It's assumed in this parable that this vineyard is a fruitful vineyard, that it is producing good grapes. And the, and the emphasis instead is on the tenants who are caring for the vineyard. So Jesus is saying something new here. The landowner again is God, and he goes off to a distant land and leaves the vineyard to be cared for by the tenants. But he is the demanding landowner nonetheless. He demands fruit in his absence. He demands that we take up and care for this vineyard. <coughs> so the first and kind of most literal meaning of this is, of course, that the servants are the prophets. Um, the Lord sends servants constantly to collect the fruit of the vineyard and bring it back to him. And we continually reject his servants. Throughout all of the history of Israel, no prophet was accepted in Israel. None of the real prophets, all the false prophets were accepted because they told the people what they wanted to hear. But the true prophets were always beaten and killed and thrown out. But then the landowner, in this new parable, sends his only son, because surely they will respect his son. But as Jesus foretells his own crucifixion, so it happens in history that we reject the Son of God and we crucify him. Uh, I think when, when we hear these harsh words, uh, like what comes at the end of the gospel when the Lord tells us that if you do this, I will take this kingdom from you and I will give it to one who produces fruit. When we hear those words, we kind of, I think we stop at the literal translation because anything else scares us. That we think that this, this story can stay in history in that sense. That that is what happened, in a, that the Lord took the kingdom of God and he gave it to the church, and that's us. But I think that's wishful thinking, and that we need to know that if we don't keep producing fruit, if we don't give the Lord the fruit that he demands, then he will take the kingdom from us and he will give it to someone who bears fruit. So one, one aspect of this parable that I want to focus in on is the landowner's absence and the, 
the impact that has on the tenant's activity. So this is where I return briefly to my old dog, Fido. So when he was in anyone's line of sight, when he was in our line of sight, he was a great dog. He acted um, with utmost politeness. Uh, but the second you turn away, he becomes a little devil and destroys everything. And I want to point this out as kind of our own inclination. That I think if God hovered over the world in a, in a physically present manner, that, we, that if we knew, if we could feel God's presence all the time, we would probably act a little differently than we do. But in a sense, it would be out of coercion that we would act that way, because we would act that way thinking that we would be punished if we acted otherwise. We wouldn't be free to serve the Lord. We would serve him because we know that we're pun- we would be punished otherwise. So God's absence in the, in, to our senses... The fact that we can't see or hear or feel God in that, in that very tangible way is very important uh, and, I, and necessary in a million different ways. So the commentator, one, of the, one commentator on the scriptures tells us with regard to this parable that the absence of the landowner is a sort of mystical vacuum that generates a, a tremendous moral crisis exposing the heart of the tenants, that his absence exposes their hearts uh, and reveals kind of all of its perversity. So God's absence in the world is important and necessary for us because it reveals to us who we truly are. When we're acting out of total freedom, how are we going to act? Uh, We're faced with a moral crisis. No one's forcing us to do anything. God demands fruit from us as Christians. We're to be fruitful But he doesn't demand it as a tyrant demands it. He demands it as a lover of souls. He loves us and therefore he wants us to be joyful and happy in his kingdom. Yet, at the same time, we are stuck in time and space. So, we have this, in a sense, we have limited time to bear the fruit that God's calling us to bear. We only have our lives here to do it. And there are so many in the world who because they don't see and feel and touch God, they don't know that he exists, or they don't believe that he exists. So when they look for Christ, they only see Christians. They see us. That's all they get. So are we, are we witnessing to them? Are we an inspiration to those who look for Christ? Or are we a scandal? Or are we just like Israel, and we just want to be like everybody else? So when... when anyone looks to the church, do they see something that looks exactly like the rest of the world? Because if that's the case, then we're not bearing fruit. So we need to examine ourselves today. Uh, Look at our own lives. Do those who we know outside the church even know that we're Catholic? Do they they know that, that the core of our beliefs is that Christ is calling us to heaven? And I, I have mixed feelings about the, the kind of catch, catchy phrase, you know, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Uh, I think that works, but I think we need to use more words. But even, even when we're not using words, I think we need actually to preach the gospel with our actions uh, in a definitive way. And I'm not going to, I don't want to give you a program right now as to how that looks, but I will say that when you find at your workplace, gossip is happening. Do you go out of your way to avoid that? 
or in creative ways, end it. Um, maybe not confrontational ways, but be creative. Uh, I think there's a million different ways in which we can preach the gospel uh, with our actions. So we know that Christ has set himself as the cornerstone. This vineyard is already producing fruit. There is low-hanging fruit everywhere in the world today. Our only job is to gather it up and bring it to the Lord. So we examine our lives and look for ways, little ways in which we can begin to gather the fruit for the Lord and to bring his kingdom to the world. 